Do the trashy pulp novels of the world have anything to offer? Our bestseller is all they're cracked up to be. Here at Terrible Book Club, we explore whether you really can judge a book by its cover or its ridiculous synopsis. You ever passed a book and thought, ugh, who's reading this? We probably are. Welcome to episode 177 of the Terrible Book Club. I'm Paris, and this is Chris. Hello. This time we read Jam by Yahtzee Croshaw, uh, published by Dark Horse in 2012. This was requested by our patron of the Void, the taco-eating unicorn. We've also got a special dedication for today's episode. Uh, Special thanks to Jade B for being an amazing sister through everything her brother has gone through. Even though she's in a different state, she's been helping with lots of issues. So... That uh, Takweeding Unicorn in the Void wishes wishes to tell everyone about the wonderful awesomeness of his sister, presumably out of the void. Presumably she's in a state next to the void. I was going to ask, is she, she also eat tacos, also a unicorn? Maybe. Who knows? But the nature of the void is mysterious, so unknown. Yeah. All right, great. So thanks for this recommendation uh, of the void, the Takweeding Unicorn. He's been a great, great longstanding patron for us, and we appreciate it. Uh, this was definitely... A different one for us. Once again, we got a lovely recommendation that was something we never would have picked up on our own. Neither of us would have ever read this book. Nope. Um, so eyes was... would have glazed over in in the bookstore, just not even registering it as oh. an actual book. It would have just become one with the mass of gray book goo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're, you're in a bookstore, and there's just so much filler in between things that you just don't even register yes. all of the thrillers and the romance novels and things like that. You're just like, that's just space in between the books that I actually want to, to find. Yeah, although I was tricked recently by some <clears throat> a very clever marketing person at a bookstore. I was in, uh, I was in Maine recently, this last weekend, and... Briefly went into Bar Harbor, decided it was disgusting and full of people and left. But before I made that decision, we walked by Maine's oldest bookstore, you know, on the main drag there. And they had color coded their window display. And if you know me, you know, I love color coding. <laughs> and so they had. I hate it because I can't. I don't understand. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. This is uh, sorry, Chris. This is not for you. But like they had color coded a gradient. So all the books in the window and it was like a really tall window with all the books set into it. So it was almost like a grid and it was all like red to orange to yellow. And I was like, I want to, I want to go in that bookstore. And I was like, no, no, you're not allowed. You're not allowed. And I did not. I did not. <laughs> I resisted. Congratulations on resisting the, the call of the color coded window. I was trying to look for more alliteration there. Is there a C word for window? Probably not. Uh, not. Not to my knowledge, that immediately comes to mind, but I think it was more the call of Terriblo, um, unfortunately, that I had to avoid. He knows how to get you now. He's like, he I'll knows. put them in color order. Yes. Get them in here, finding more terrible books. All right. Uh, so if this is your first time listening to the show, what we do here at the Terrible Book Club is, you know, 
make the will of Terriblo known to the world. Uh, what we do is we read books that we assume will be bad based on their cover, title, summary, or some combination of the three. Uh, sometimes, though, like today, we read books that our patrons, listeners, or friends recommend. So we are typically doing the opposite of what most people do when they are browsing in a bookstore or on the internet. And we choose things that we think, nah, I wouldn't read that. And, you know, see how it goes. And typically, this experiment results in a hilariously disappointing read. But once in a while, we actually do end up liking or even loving the book. Uh, For today's show, we just got our usual barnyard language, plus some discussion or mention of violence, uh, both jam and human violence. And uh, there's a brief discussion of a shitty slur that'll be real quick towards the end. But that's about it. Pretty fairly safe episode. Okay, Paris, how about you read the back of the book summary and I'll do the characters and setting and the summary that you wrote this time. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm a little ashamed that I wrote the summary this time. It's not very good. I apologize. <laughs> it's, it was done hastily. I think it does a fine job of getting the idea of what this book feels like across. It was done hastily while waiting for uh, my PT appointment to begin uh, this morning. <laughs> very early before I had a coffee. So it's, Before they it's... crunched your hands into a form that would render it really difficult. Yes, so this is pre-caffeine, pre-body crunching. It's it's a rough one. Anyway, this is the summary printed on the back of the book or, you know, in on the Amazon page or whatever. We were prepared for an earthquake. We had a flood plan in place. We could even have dealt with zombies. Probably. But no one expected the end to be quite so sticky. Or strawberry-scented. Yahtzee Croshaw, Mogworld, the escapist, zero punctuation reviews returns to print with a follow-up to his smash hit debut, Jam, a dark comedy about the one apocalypse no one predicted. Hey, so for characters, uh, I mean, the setting is Brisbane, Australia. It's, it's just in Brisbane. That's the city that's been jammed. Is it Brisbane? But for characters. Is it Brisbane? Is, Brisbane. I don't know. I'm not going <laughs> to. <laughs> this is like our fantasy character pronunciation thing, except it's a real place instead. <laughs> It's actually Brisabane. I know we've got some Australians listening to the show, so some, someone help us. <laughs> All right, for characters, we've got Travis, the protagonist. He's just generic protagonist. Honestly, there's not really defining features. I guess his most defining feature is that he has a pet spider that wasn't even his pet before this whole thing started. He seems kind of dopey and lonely and a little naive. That's his character. I think that's it in a nutshell. We've got Tim, his roommate, who's mildly sociopathic, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. one of those people where if given, if put in a vacuum of power, they will find a way to use it to their advantage um, instead of helping other people. Don, a video game programmer who lives nearby and is kind of a dick. Kind of the most acerbic one of the bunch. Angela, a lady who wants to document the jampocalypse. Because she's a journalism student. You have X, shifty government agent, and Y, muscly government agent. By government, we mean the American government. Yeah, of course, because Australia. even America is getting shit fucked up over in Australia, of course. <laughs> so <laughs> Can't can't stop. We're everywhere. Uh, then, of course, Mary, Travis's pet spider. There's the Briar Center Settlement members. This is an abandoned, it's not abandoned, but sort of the repurposed mall. mall. Um, including Lord Osimo and Princess Raven here. These are forum screen names being used IRL now. Um, the Hibatsu Building Settlement members. Uh, they're a, just a former corporate office that is filled with survivors. And pretty much the only important one is Kathy. Yeah, correct. 
Uh, you have Dr. Thorne, scientist and last, and last chapter exposition sayer. <laughs> yep. And then miles of man-eating jam, which is strawberry flavored. All right. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. So let's get into the summary that Paris helpfully wrote so that y'all can get an idea of what generally happened in the story so that when we talk about it, you're not completely lost at jam C, threatened to be eaten. Yes. By, <laughs> devoured by the uh, things that we think are bad or good with no context. <laughs> yes. Okay, so here we go. Travis and his roommates awaken one day to find their apartment complex in Brisbane, Australia. Brisbane? Brisbane. Brisbane. <laughs> and potentially the world is covered in a writhing mass of strawberry jam. What's worse is that it disintegrates organic matter on contact, including human beings. After losing one roommate to the red goo, Travis and his remaining roommate, Tim, along with the new spider pet, Mary, join forces with other complex neighbors, Angela and Don, to venture beyond the apartments and survive. A helicopter with two Americans, X and Y, crashes into Don's balcony and apartment. They form an uneasy truce to band together and continue through the jam-drowned city. They eventually get to the local mall where a bunch of internet forum dorks have founded a very half-assed settlement. Their leaders, Lord Osmo and Princess Ravenhair, go mad with power and install a puppet king and execute people to maintain control. But it's all dumber than it sounds despite being so grim. Travis, Tim, Angela, Dawn, X and Y don't love this situation and all adopt different strategies to cope or escape. Travis clings to his pet spider, Mary, for emotional support, and inexplicably falls into like with Princess Raven here. Tim challenges Lord Osimo to lead the settlement. Angela is always recording with her camcorder to feel more like a journalist. Don is trying to get back his video game build that has been lost or stolen by the settlement, and X and Y are being shady and avoiding questions about their involvement with the creation of the game. Y starts killing people in the settlement in an effort to protect X and their shared secret, until Y gets jammed. Eventually, they all end up at the Hibatsu building, a perhaps better run but different flavor of stupid settlement cobbled together by office workers and corporate minds. They get into a half-baked war with the mall settlement and end up absorbing the mall denizens and acquiring what they had for supplies. Throughout the story, our main group has been on and off a small boat called the Everlong and they leave the Hibatsu building one last time on it where they encounter an American aircraft carrier with a scientist aboard. Of course, this is the scientist who can give us the final end boss explanation and is immediately murdered by Tim. Angela and X die of jam. Don and Travis get separated and Travis decides to risk getting on an emergency raft with Tim. Tim almost kills him, but is quickly rescued by Don and the American Navy. Mary the Spider even survives the end. Thank you, Chris. All right, Chris, what was, what was good about this? What, what do we got? What do we got? I feel like the thing that was good is also the thing that was bad in a way. It's you, I fine. Love, I love that I asked you what was good and you're immediately distressed. It's fine. It's competently written. Yeah. No typos. The pacing oh. is... The pacing ain't great. I'll, I'll, I'll say that. But the, you know, dialogue, okay. Action scenes, I understand where things are. You know what? I do have a good passage we can read later or maybe now um, because I I actually thought the action scenes and people moving around stuff were really well done and towards the beginning I was actually kind of I had some hope in me because I was like oh these scenes are good this felt like you said this felt edited 
no, you know, we weren't we weren't grasping for a, a raft in a sea of grammarless jam. <laughs> you know, it was yeah, it felt like somebody knew what they were doing when they were writing this. Uh, I actually think the pacing was fine for the purposes of this story. I think that, uh, you know, spoiler for a few minutes from now, I think we just this just wasn't for us uh the you know the story the story was not really for me and chris but where um where the focus was was not pleasant right right. we didn't we didn't love the focus but i think that the pacing was fine for the action points and the plot points in the story that the author had had you know figured out um yeah it was you know honestly it was pretty easy to read like it was uh it was a quick it would have been quick if I had been able to pay attention for very long, but it was <laughs> um, it was a fairly quick read despite being three hundred and something pages. Um, yeah, it was it was definitely like something you know you can kind of just pick up and casually read. You didn't have to think very hard. It wasn't wasn't much of a puzzle going on here. Um, so it was you know it was a laid back book uh, with a with a you know sort of silly premise. Uh, what else? Oh, you know what? I can actually read an action scene because I thought yeah, those were really let's great. Let's start there. So let me uh, let me find my marker for that. So uh, let me just let me just set this up. So in this scene, uh, Don and Travis have tried to infiltrate the Hibatsu building because they have uh, been tasked. I forget if they had been tasked with findings. No, they had been. Now I don't remember if they had been uh, tasked with finding supplies for the mall settlement or if they had been excommunicated from the mall settlement or whatever. Doesn't Don want to go there because that's where his video game developer office is and he's like, I'm going to find my build. You're right. You're right. Yes. Thank you, Chris. That is correct. Sorry. I started reading this a really long time ago and only just finished it. So I'm a little little foggy. Thank you, Chris. Yes. So they're going into Don's office, uh, which is in the Hibatsu building, right? Yes. And... They end up getting captured by people in there, and so they get tied to some chairs, and they are trying to escape the chairs. <laughs> so that is the context here. Don smashed his chair into mine like a Dodge-Jum car. Dodge, Dodge-Jum car? Is that a... I think it's a bumper car. Bumper I think it's car. an Australian weird thing I'm for a gonna, bumper car, maybe. Restart that <laughs> sentence. Okay. Australia, <laughs> you got me, me fucked up today. All right. <laughs> Don smashed his chair into mine like a dodgem car to calm me down. Look, if the other wave didn't get inside the building, then this one won't, will it? Focus on something important. Sure enough, the roar swiftly faded into the distance and we remained undigested. His own words made him realize something, and he spun in his chair to show me his wrists. Have I been tied up with strips of plastic bag? I checked behind his back. Yeah, a blue one. I thought so. I've got an idea. We have to get to the kitchen. This was easier and considerably less embarrassingly said than done. To make the chairs move, we had to toss our heads back and forth and thrust our hips forward to wheel down the hall towards the kitchen, inch by humiliating inch. Don made better speed, but I managed to stay close enough behind to keep talking. What happened in here? I asked, voice modulating oddly with each push forward. Got as far as my office didn't see anyone got my hard drive out of my case when one of them came in. He paused for a moment to get his breath back. I hid under the desk and he took 
hard drive. I don't know why. I guess they're attracted to shiny objects. I only noticed after he'd left. Then I ran out of the office. That's when I ran in you again. Once we were in the kitchen, the tiled floor was a lot easier to navigate on casters than the carpet. Don rolled himself over to a crumb-stricken gas stove and turned his back to it. Tell me when I've got the front hob. I looked. No, you're just grabbing the knobs there. He blinked. And the knob that controls the front hob. Oh, yeah, yeah, that one. He turned it. By some miracle, the jam hadn't affected the pipes, and the stovetop started hissing gas. After a minute or so of effort, Don grabbed a barbecue lighter from the counter. It clipped emptily as he pulled the switch, but it created enough of a spark to ignite a predictably large fireball on the stovetop. Where do you think they came from? I said as he gingerly held his wrist towards the flame. I don't know. Ow! But they took my build, so wherever they are, we're gonna go there and keep setting fire to things until they give it back. Finally, the plastic strip stretched unhappily in the heat and he pulled his hands apart, then untied the rest of his bonds. Right. I need to see if they took anything else important important from around here. Can you do a check for supplies and meet me on the balcony? Could you untie me first? He stopped on his way to the door and rolled his eyes. Whatever. He snapped the plastic from around my wrist and left me to take care of the rest. So... That seems fine, right? We got a little silliness involving moving forward in the chairs, and that's even sort of written out in the dialogue by way of capitalizing certain pieces of it so you know exactly where the stress is. It's easy to, you know, follow along. It's well-painted, and you get a little bit of an idea of the character of both Don and Travis here, Travis being a little bit stupid with the whole, I meant the knobs on on the front of the stove thing. Yeah, he's a bit he's a bit naive and dim, and that's the point. And I, yeah, I think that was when I was like, okay, this is what the book is good at. I I was hoping it was going to be you know kind of uh, focus on the action movie stuff and the mystery and like maybe develop the characters more and get a little more insight into these people and their interactions. But um, unfortunately, we didn't get quite to that point. In any case, I still think, like you said. Competently written and edited. Dialogue was fine for for these purposes, I should specify. The action scenes were good, and it was pretty easy to get through. I would say another good thing in this book's favor is when it comes to the terminally online folks. So that whole Briar Center settlement is full of people that posted on some online forum before the apocalypse and... They all decide to get together at the mall for whatever reason after the whole jam thing happens. I guess the idea is they didn't have jobs to get to. So these people were left unjammed. (laughs) Right. And they talked to each other on the forum and they were like, let's go to the mall and set up a mini society there where they still go by their screen names in real life because that's the only way they know each other. Anyway, the thing that I think is in this book's favor is I do like having to point out to them that even if you're doing something horrendous, ironically, it still counts as being horrendous. So Paris, I know you're less online than I was, especially around the time that this book was published, (laughs) but sort of that ironic forum posting culture was a thing that I interacted with quite a bit And, you know, people would make edgy jokes here and there. And the point would be that, like, well, I'm not really like that. It's just that I'm putting on this character that is so over the top 
in this edgy way that you're supposed to laugh at that. And I think, again, pointing out to them, well, you're still the one saying that stuff. So you're still being an asshole. Yeah. And the way this is depicted in the book, I think, I think quite well, I think the depiction of this sort of group of people is, is good. And what happens is they, like I said, they install a a puppet king, (laughs) the janitor of the movie theater, I believe in the mall or maybe the mall janitor, not quite sure. Mm -hmm. And he has all the keys to everything, but he's a little um, unstable and so they kind of just dress him up and put him in a room and get him whatever he wants when he asks for it. And they make all the decisions for him. But they don't know what they're doing. They don't know, they don't know how to run a real society with real human beings because they are so terminally online. They can't think of a real way to govern. So they immediately gravitate towards, well, if someone breaks a rule, they are thrown into a jam hole and murdered. <laughs> and like at first, you, you know, you're thinking, oh, they're not actually going to murder people. And then they do. And it's, it's quite, you know, jarring because you're like, what? This is already a terrible situation. Why would you waste the people who have survived? <laughs> you know, it's not really a great answer. And neither of the people who are running the settlement really, yeah, have any clue what they're doing. And uh, it's... Yeah, it's it's painful to read because it is so cringy, but that is accurate, right? That is <laughs> probably pretty yeah. accurate. Of- and again, I've been, I think, more involved in that side of things. Uh, you know, the classic, not sort of the classic, but the most recent example I could point to was R. The Donald. I don't know if you interacted with that no. whole thing. No, I stayed clear, stayed clear. Yeah, I mean, you could see at the start that it was people trying to be ironic about it, but it was quickly overrun by people who were dead serious about it. Um, And, of course, it transformed into the monstrosity, (laughs) Uh, went beyond the bounds of Reddit, well, well beyond it. I'm not saying that the Donald is the reason that Trump got elected. Not at all. But it certainly kind of started the whole ridiculous culture that we see around Trump with the -the over-the-top pictures of him being all muscly in front of an american flag with with guns and eagles like it started there for the most part yeah for sure um or or it metastasized there i think yeah you quickly attract the idiots that you're trying to make fun of in a lot of these communities so you know we saw it there we see it with flat earth stuff you oh. see it in 4chan, although I think 4chan was full of people that were immediately shitty from the start, but a handful of people were probably there just thinking they were being ironic and then quickly got, you know, taken in by the swell, I suppose. Um, the swell I wanted, of strawberry jam. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, Paris, have you ever seen this occur in any of your communities, whether online or in real life? Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, um. I mean, heavy metal as a whole, but uh, the probably the most notable pocket would be black metal. Um, mm-hmm. So you've got—I don't know—that was that was tough because a lot of the folks who were the original progenitors of sort of that sound and whatever associated ideas, there's some people were doing it seriously and some of them were doing it ironically, but neither of them knew which was the case. And, you know, and then years later we're still debating it's like a like, spy thriller, but everyone's just an idiot about something stupid instead of like a real serious thing. Like who's the mole, but instead who's actually serious about burning down these churches. Yeah. Who's, who's really burning down churches. Who's really murdering people and why. 
Um, obviously, we know who burnt churches down and murdered people, but like, you know, the motivations for that were questionable. Um, yeah, so that's that's a whole cesspool, 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 um, in which you know I still dip a toe into here and there. But uh, yeah, that's the one that comes to mind for me. Uh. Yeah, the heavy. It, it is for me too in the IRL section of things. It's the metal area of things, especially your slam death metal or your gore grind area. Really? I don't think that... I don't think I would ever think that, like, Cannibal Corpse is actually eviscerating women. No. I don't... Like, I never thought that. (laughs) A lot of people... I mean, there's just... uh, I don't think people are actually out here saying murder is cool for the most part. There's gonna be some. But... There's some people that take the misogyny aspect of it pretty seriously, oh, I would say. Oh, you're right. You're right about that. Yes. There is definitely like a people don't understand that they are aping ideas from films and media. Like They're just playing in this idea and their fans are like, yeah, women really are bitches. I should stab with a knife. And they're like, wait, no, that's not. No, God. <laughs> no, no, wait, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. No, wait a second. No. Of course, um, the this isn't in the gore grind, but there's still, still sort of a grind aspect. And, you know, probably the kings of doing things ironically, half and half, we could say, uh, anal cunt, right? Like, like, oh, purpose, yeah, yeah. Like, almost purposely. Hometown boys. Yeah. <laughs> Boston the the shittiest sounding band in the world. For Newton. By song, far, right? Like, by far. And, you know, when you're 13 or 14, as a young teenage boy, perhaps you're laughing at the song titles because edgy humor is real funny to a 13 year old boy. I'm telling on myself a little bit here. Yeah. So, um, you know, I'm not going to really recite these. I like, go look up some anal cunt song titles and uh, just. I mean, like the. Yeah, I, uh, I I don't know. Let me just find some that aren't that won't get me, you know, thrown in prison. Um, Perhaps the lightest one is everyone in Alston should be killed. Which I sometimes agree with, depending on where I am on the green line at any given time, or yes. or the sixty six, you know, or if I'm coming or if I'm walking by O'Brien's at a certain time of night. Yeah, I might agree with that. But within that song's lyric is lyrics are a bunch of horrible slurs, so you know you can't even really recommend that one. Yeah, they kind of they 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 leaned way too far into we're gonna actually start doing Nazi salutes and using full racial slurs. And they did it so often that it then became muddied and was like, wait, are these people actually racist, fascists, homophobes? Like what is going on? And you I know, think I perhaps mean, there's also, Seth was, there was also a lot of really heavy drug use happening. So that, you know, not having the clearest mind probably doesn't help. Um, yeah. So again, when you're 13 to 15 and a teenage boy, you think being edgy and shit is fucking hilarious. And then you yeah. look back on it not too long after and you're like, oh, this is actually really incredibly shitty. Despite it's trying to be a joke and they're trying to be as horrible and shitty sounding on purpose. It's actually not that cool. 
Yeah, um, I think now, well, this is just me opining about the state of things, uh, but I, I think now kids are being raised somewhat better and probably under, would understand immediately, even at 14, that, you know, that's maybe not a cool thing. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, che- cheers to cheers to moving on as a society <laughs> a species. Okay. And anyway. So that was a point in this book's favor again, where it, yeah, I, I do so. like pointing out like, hey, if you're being ironic, especially with the being shitty on the Internet, people think they uh, can do that because it doesn't really count. But it does have real life consequences. I can back that point. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Another thing that I would put in the things that were good. I like strawberry jam. Yeah, me too. It's delicious. It's my favorite kind of jam. I recently, uh, you know, I did the did the tourist thing in in Maine and had uh, popovers and they came with strawberry and blueberry jam and the strawberry was great. And I thought of this book, of course, and I was like, is this jam going to eat me alive? I waited till someone else used the strawberry jam first. <laughs> yeah, let someone be the royal taster before you try possibly carnivorous jam. Yeah, uh, it was not carnivorous. It was delicious. Uh, I do. I do love me a strawberry jam. I guess if I had to choose a jam to be eaten by, it would be the strawberry jam, because at least I'd be suffused into something delicious. So if you're going to murder me, put me in something tasty. That's a fair That's a fair argument. I accept that. All right. I'll write that down for later. Um, in, the, in the will. Yeah. I'll write that in the will. <laughs> no casket, only jam jar. What the fuck did he mean by this? Somebody get Paris out here. we got to figure this out. I mean, you can do whatever food you want. Honestly, you want to put me on a pizza, that's fine. If you, if you guys are going to be cannibals, at least make it you, worthwhile. You would want to be rendered into a bor- uh, bowl of ramen. I, actually, ramen. yeah. If you could somehow make human broth. Ramen. Human broth. Yeah, we'll, we'll, go to, we'll go to a country that allows that and make ramen. That's, that's how you'll go out. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, anyway. I don't think there's any countries that allow that. Is there one that allows that? Chris, there are a lot of countries in this world. I guess there's some countries that are too busy with other things to care. Yes. <laughs> and many of them with laws that only scrape the surface of all the laws you probably need. So I'm, I'm sure. <laughs> like, listen, I'm sure. there's a lot of shit wrong in here. I guess if you're doing the Kramen, ju- just don't do it too in public view. This is this is a question for Google. Can you eat humans in this country? Uh, there's, well, uh, I don't want to reference a Medium article because those are just people <laughs> writing things that without any... Uh, you might as well ask ChatGPT. And ChatGPT will be like, yeah, you should eat humans. I don't, you know, it's actually legal everywhere. Go ahead. Seems like Kill it's actually... all humans. I think it's actually legal in a lot of places. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> Um, Florida, right? It's Florida. (laughs) (laughs) In Key West, the human brain is a delicacy because... Ron DeSantis is like, we should not infringe on people's freedoms. Dude, that is the logical next place that that whole ideology goes. The woke mob wants you to not taste delicious human meat? First, they they take our bacon for breakfast. Now they're taking our human meat? Fucking vegans. You're going to be considered <laughs> vegan if you don't eat people. Like, that's how, that's how far it's going to Oh, go. what are you, soft? You won't eat a person? Oh, <laughs> uh, now I'm now I'm really deep into this. Uh, wow, yeah, it's legal in a surprising number of places. 
I guess, um, what's the most surprising place? Just the sheer number of places is the most surprising thing to me. Um, Should we be disseminating this information? A lot of islands, um, but also a lot of not islands. Yeah, I, I'm actually having trouble finding a place where it's not allowed. Come on, Paris. You can't. <laughs> this can't be that widespread. Oh, historically, very widespread. A lot of people even happened in history. I'm sure. I'm sure it became necessity at some point. Yeah. Yeah. Is it one of those things where it's like, well, if you had to eat someone to survive, we're not going to put you in jail for it, but don't do the murdering to do it? Is that where the line is drawn? Well, it's that, and then there's also, like, if it's part of a religious ritual, we'll let it go um, in a lot of places, so... Is this some weird Christianity loophole thing because you're supposed to be eating Jesus? No, but that is a good point. Yeah, there is a lot. Man, this is this is a tangent. Um, there is. So I was like, all right, let's, you know, I don't. We're at a point on the Internet and in human history where you can't trust Medium, but you can actually trust Wikipedia. And I was like, let's just see what Wikipedia says, expecting it to be two paragraphs. There is a header for like every section of the world and they are long. There are specific sections for each country. Like there's a lot of people eating going on, man. OK, well, all right. That's I've learned something new. <laughs> That's unpleasant. Well, you know what? You know what's a more comfortable topic? The fact that everything is America's fault. So yes. this is this is something I think this book succeeds in. They depict the the two American characters X and Y in a hilariously perfect way. You know, the Americans show up by crashing a helicopter into the main characters. You know, like of course, what an American entrance. And they crashed the helicopter because neither of them actually knew how to fly it. A very American element. We got a million of these. We're spending the whole defense budget on, like, so many helicopters, guys. It's fine. Crash them all you want. That's actually the only way we know how to land these. So they, you know, took a helicopter to try to, you know, what we later learn, um, to get off of the... I think they took it from the aircraft carrier they end up Mm -hmm. on at the very end of the the, um, thing. So they don't know how to fly it, but so they crash even though they so they barely got anywhere and you know they're just shady they don't want to really work with anyone and of course by the end we find out whose fault is the jam theirs i mean it's alluded to pretty early on that x and y were the ones who either released the jam or made the jam or something and at the end you find out that they weren't the ones who made it but they were actually the two people responsible with transporting it from a testing area to the holding area where, you know, it was kept when not being tested by scientists and they accidentally left it on the roof of the car, like a cooler you forget about when you're drunk and it fell off the car and opened. And that's how all this happened, which is a perfectly American dumb thing to have done. So I thought that, you know, the, main evil of the book being created by <laughs> Americans and also actually with poor regulation. Yeah, poor poor regulation, you know, not you're transporting man-eating jam in like, you know, what is essentially a drinks cooler is pretty stupid. Um so, yeah, that that was good. I thought it was a good choice of villain and also you know, for the the more grim side of things, sadly true, right? Like Amer- America has perpetrated a lot of ill in the world and they're always using other countries to experiment their stuff on i mean look at 
know, the Marshall Islands or anywhere, <laughs> Australia in this case, you know, pick somewhere that be the jam. Paris, where yes. the jam? Yes, that's why it's red, red and <laughs> white and blue. No, that's not white and blue. Um, that's white and blue in your strawberry jam. Something has gone wrong. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was a good aspect of the story. All right, so on to things that were bad. So we alluded to this earlier, but the entire focus of the story seems more to be about satirizing how online forums and corporate culture would fare in an apocalypse scenario, which is not what I wanted from this story. And again, yeah, this could not just what I be, care about. Right, this could just be us and our particular tastes. If you're setting up this whole jam thing, I'm way more into the mystery of. How's the jam work? Where'd the jam come from? Please explain that to me. Who did well, the jam? I'm also more interested in sort of the deep inner workings of people in a situation like this, not like a slapstep comedy version, which is what we got. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I could even accept that, but I suppose to me, this reads like someone who looked at nine to five office jobs and went, well, that seems stupid. And then started doing some work on the internet and saw how people act on the internet and went, they are also stupid. <laughs> yes. And then wrote something that put them above it all so that they could, you know, write all these sort of silly jokes about it. And not to say that they aren't stupid, but right. it just has this, you know, sarcastic above it all feel that I, it's just a little grating for me sometimes when you kind of act like, well, I'm the smart one that can see all of this for how stupid it is and it's all dumb i'm smart you guys are stupid and I, I guess you know that works plenty fine in a lot of i don't know why in particular here it felt more grating than usual to me but i think it is because i really wanted to delve deeper into the jam mystery at least that's what I wanted out of this book. Yeah. And you don't really get any of that. And it's all just kind of hand waved away at the end. And I felt very unsatisfied that I spent about 250 pages reading about how people online are weirdos and how corporate culture seems needlessly stiff. But yeah, I get that. I've, I, I've, I've gotten that for a while now. Yeah, I think I think the trouble I had similar issues where the focus on those two things was not what I wanted to focus on. Again, I wanted to focus on, as you said, the intricacies and mystery of the jam. And then I wanted to see more real introspection of the characters and people. Instead, we got these sort of, we I, honestly, I kind of felt like this was more of like the SNL version of like what a jam apocalypse would be. Everyone's very surface level. Yeah, that's a really it's, great you know, analogy. People are just kind of like being, you know, there's a couple of characters who have these little barbs or whatever. Everyone's sort of a stereotype in a way. It just, I don't know, it didn't do it for me, but I get that this, it's just not the kind of book I like to read. Like, I don't, we've talked about this before with, you know, book funny books and how we don't, it's not really something that jives with us, so... I would have just appreciated a different focus. Like, I'm fine if you want to talk about how corporate culture and how internet forum culture are stupid and have some similarities in their stupidity, but there was so much of that. We spent so much time at the mall, so much time with the Hibatsu building. And then the sort of the struggles the other characters had, I just didn't care about. I just, they just weren't, 
that interesting. I don't care about Princess Ravenhair's bird. Nope. I don't really care about don't keeping care about Mary her. the Spider alive. I really don't care about Dawn's video game build at all. Travis really has no no motivation for anything. I did care about Dawn's video game build because I thought it was going to be something more, and then it just isn't. Just yes, we- okay, exactly. I wanted it to be like he's really the one behind the jamming, and like his video game build is actually jam data. Well, I wanted it to be something, anything that wasn't that. Like it could have been secret nuke codes. That's actually what I, I thought. Maybe he was actually some kind of. I don't know, some some government agent who was going to just blow up everything to save the rest of the world or something. I thought that was going to be like the sure. the surprise and then it wasn't. So, I mean, I guess what could have worked is if we spent time with other types of subcultures. Like, why not have the preppers in on this or anything? Like, Just to yeah. at least kind of get a, a smorgasbord of flavoring of different sort of stupid communes or something instead of just well it's the internet weirdos and then it's the corporate weirdos that's the two types the two genders that, that yeah. are out there yeah but, but like paris do you think any culture not not like culture in terms of like geographic location or actual you know country or things like that but you know types of people do you think anyone wouldn't look stupid in an apocalypse scenario not really i mean I I do sort of feel as though a lot of people would end up, yeah, being idiots, you know. Um, it would be tough because any any sort of, you know, the any militaries would probably lose their cool and do some dumb stuff. And then... Which is why even your apocalypse prepper people, perhaps the one contingent that you would expect to possibly fare better they would also fare terribly because you're just centralizing a cache of goods for other people to come and take and there will always be more people with bigger guns and strong and more resources than you especially if there's some remnants of military i don't know i yeah i'm i'm not really sure i i don't think i know enough to hypothesize about this or give any suggestions but it would have i agree with your point that it would have been better if we saw a different types of people and how they were figuring out survival or not right like it could have been fine if he was like look everyone is stupid and then we saw different we saw like farmers or you know because we're in australia maybe we saw some aboriginal folks or you know yacht club um, members they have the boats to survive right yeah anything would have been more interesting i i also found the internet people and corporate building tired i don't know i just but this was also written in 2012, so you know maybe it's just too late for this book. I'm I'm not sure. Okay, if you had to choose a group of people from all of your social circles, like the different contingents of cultures that you interact with, to have to band with in an apocalypse scenario, and we don't have to be jam specific here. It could be generic, you know, <laughs> store brand apocalypse. Okay, things are just generically bad over here. <laughs> nice apocalypse. If you had to choose one to band with, who do you think it would be? Ooh, that's tough. I have two two good options. One is the scientists I work with, and two are people I know who live in northern Maine and have uh you know, who are far away and probably have better ideas about self defense than I do. <laughs> so I don't think the options are that great for me, though. I don't really have <laughs> 
I think I'd have to go with the contingent of my partner's family that does own yachts. <laughs> like I would have to go. You would have to go boat boatward. Even if it's not a jampocalypse, they'd probably have a nice compound somewhere or something, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> at, the, at the bare minimum, because the rest of my social circle is musicians. And I got to tell you, uh, <laughs> I don't think yeah. barding it up in the apocalypse is going to do too well, at least at the outset. Maybe after four or five years and there's some form of stability post-apocalypse, we can start trading our wares for things. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't I don't think that I would have a great chance at surviving. Unless it's a Mad Max scenario and I could be a doof warrior. Then like, okay, I can maybe hack it and go right, with so whatever you So your only chance is being strapped to the front of a tractor and and playing heavy metal. That's about all I got to offer, yeah. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> That's okay. The terrible know. book reading skills aren't really great for post-apocalyptic no, scenarios. Oh, I don't really have I don't have any great skills either. Well, we've both determined we'd die in the Jampocalypse. That's fine. I, I accept that fate. Really any of them. It doesn't even have to be. <laughs> well, so I guess this is a, a good enough segue. I'm gonna take it to talk about this type of apocalypse, and this is you know, if you're unfamiliar with the Theories about different types of apocalypses, apocalypse, apocalypi, apocalyposis. I don't know. Different <laughs> apocalypse scenarios. Arabiopocalypsosis. Oh, God. <laughs> this Remember that? Jam- the Garfield apocalypse. Oh, God. I saw it. It's Garf- just a bunch of that Garfield shake all over everywhere and it eats you because it's too lazy. This is the gray goo scenario. Uh, and that scenario is typically, well, oops, we made a bunch of nanobots and they formed together into a mass and now they're just consuming everything. But from what I understand, I actually don't, I don't think that that's a super likely one in terms of all of the possible apocalypse scenarios. Um, anyway, it was proposed as an idea and a lot of writers and me- you know, media makers have kind of gone with it. There's a lot of movies that deal with the this sort of scenario um there's the fluff uh or no the stuff sorry not the fluff <laughs> the stuff um which is about a fluff like substance that consumes people who eat it and you know whatever um you know monster blood from goosebumps i think is a mm-hmm. similar thing Mm -hmm. there's quite a few varieties this one is just strawberry jam instead and there's no real reason given as to why it's strawberry jam either which is fine i guess i don't really care that much about it but for all of this apocalypse talk and you know carnivorous jam this felt very bland like maybe they used unripened strawberries and no sugar like this was just down this boring after uh, even on page 10, my first note in this book on page 10 was, how does this go on for 320 pages? I agree. I really struggled by about page 70 or 80. Yeah. I was like, okay, um, are we going to do anything more interesting? And then they started getting into the whole Briar Center Thing and I realized, oh, it's just about making fun of this particular subset of humanity in an apocalyptic situation. And I, perhaps again, we're just not the audience for this. I 
I'm going to push back a little bit on what you said before in that I do enjoy funny books, and I think there are books that are funny. Big fan of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, big fan of Terry Pratchett, big fan of the uh, Dark Prophet, P-R-O-F-I-T series by J. Zachary Pike. I mentioned Orconomics before. I read the sequel recently, and that was also pretty funny to me. And it was also satirizing sort of like financial culture and banks in a, in a fun way. Not deeply, but it was put in a fantasy scenario, which made me kind of chuckle to myself a please, little bit. Please tell me that they had fantasy crypto and they reamed it. Uh, not exactly crypto, but essentially a similar idea. Okay. okay. Essentially a similar idea. I very thoroughly recommend those books. The third one's coming out in the fall. I'm very excited for that one. Anywho, uh, what I want to say here is that yeah, I just, it felt like a slog. Like I was slogging through a jam of ideas that I didn't really find entertaining. It wasn't necessarily super funny to me, maybe because as we said before, these are sort of tired satirizations that we've seen before. And on top of that, the so many plot lines are half-baked or unresolved. Uh, or just they were clearly, by the time that you get to the end, you realize why they were, why it was in the book and it sucks. Like the reasoning sucks, you know? So Dom's video game build isn't really anything. It's not like he even had a great video game. We don't even know what the game is by the end. He's just trying to upload it most of the time. Uh, Mary the Spider is there essentially just to leap onto Tim towards the end so that he falls into the jam for oh, his right. comeuppance. Right. Um, the Princess Ravenhair X Travis, I don't want to say romance. Like yeah, it was, it, was a, like, it was a very thin vein of they, he kind of liked so her. So as to be translucent, like yeah. totally see-through. There was no reason to have that in the story. I don't it's get it. It's there for Travis to kind of want to go back to the Briar Center a little bit, but he kind of drops it fairly quickly, too. Yeah. Like, that girl was kind of cute, and I sure my spider ate her bird, but I think we could maybe make it work. And, and sure, it, she was involved in the orchestrated murder of people, but I guess it's fine because she's just a stupid girl. She doesn't know any better. It just didn't. But it doesn't even. He's like, all right, yeah, I guess you're right. It is kind of stupid. Whatever. And the unsatisfying resolution of X and Y's whole thing. I, I, you know, you put this in the things that were good column where it was just that they left it on top of the car like a bunch of I, idiots. I thought it was funny and American, you know. Yes, yeah. that was, so if that was just the one thing that was half-baked or kind of resolved in an unsatisfying, not unsatisfying, but, you know, sort of a less-than-expected anticlimactic way, that could have been fine. But when all of your plot lines resolve in this way... It just leaves me feeling like I didn't get any nutrition from this at all. Yeah. I actually didn't have a problem with that. I mean, I we've talked about this on the show a few times. I actually like when authors don't try to invent grand ideas or grand endings to things because sometimes it is as stupid as people making a very dumb mistake when not having the right protocols to control something dangerous or when you do actually have a video game developer guy who really literally only cares about his video game builds and he you know i understand that but 
I agree with you that there were too many of them. I would have. I. I don't have a problem with the Americans leaving the jam cooler on the car and driving away. I think that's fine. I think everything else was unsatisfying um, because, it, like you said, it just kind of piled up. And I. I don't understand who this book is for. What is the point of this? Is it just to say, oh yeah, corporate culture and internet forum culture suck in different ways, but they both suck. I don't, that feels like the purpose uh, to me. And to me, that's not, that's not a purpose. Maybe you could book. say that there's a theme here of people clinging to something sure. you know, as a core of their identity and they're making it their entire identity, especially in a post-apocalyptic scenario where it's all they have left. Travis clinging to his spider. Don clinging to his video game build. The forum yeah. people clinging to the forum culture. Corporate yeah, Angela people clinging, clinging to, the to the camcorder that hasn't worked in you know seven days. But you don't really see much done with it here besides no. the fact that they are doing that. There's not really any diving deeper into the nuances of that or like, you know, why X wanted to lie so badly about her involvement in things. Yeah. Because it... she and X and Y, X's name ends up being Yolanda. And of course, that's supposed to be funny because the guy was called Y anyway. Um, they weren't even like high up government agents or anything, weren't they? Just sort of people in charge with moving the jam container, pretty much. And they fucked up. And then I'm having a hard time articulating because what there's else not I much to say. grab onto. Yeah, is yeah. I think the whole point. We even struggled to pick a passage to read from this because. It's so hard to pick out anything in particular as interesting to read on air. I guess I can pick something. And I don't think a selection that we read right here will even give you the full context of why this felt so bland overall. Because each individual constituent part you could look at and be like, well, sure, that works here in isolation. But then putting the whole thing together just feels like when you make dubious food. In Breath of the Wild. In the <laughs> yeah. I guess I'll read the passage where Travis decides to let his spider eat the bird. Sure. I mean, not perhaps the, yeah. the most emotionally fraught segment in the entire book. During an apocalypse. Mind yes. you, this is the one section. Don, Tim, and X were all there, lying sprawled over their improvised furniture, but I didn't see Angela. And Mary was awake, pawing restlessly at the side of her box. Then I heard the sound that had woken me again. A gentle fluttering of wings. I rolled over and followed the sound until I spotted the source. One of the plastic people's living spaces had been set up just a few yards away, with a few pieces of bedding and personal belongings lying around. The human occupant was absent, but there on the floor was a birdcage. Inside the cage was a blue and white speckled budgerigar, budgie, printing itself unconcernedly to greet the new day. From out of nowhere, the words Goliath Bird Eater shot to the forefront of my mind, and I glanced back at my restless spider. Mary wasn't looking any healthier, and this was certainly an uncanny bit of providence. I climbed quietly off of my sack of lingerie, crept into our neighbor's territory, and placed Mary next to the bird's cage to let the two examine each other. Mary raised her forelegs in excitement, but the budgie hadn't even noticed her. I looked around, but not a single plastic person was stirring or looking in my direction. I asked myself... 
Is this really the right thing to do? Well, no, obviously, not at all. Feeding a stranger's pet to yours is extremely hard to justify without the consent of the owner, or indeed the consent of the pet, especially when party A is a cute, smooth-feathered budgie full of the zest of spring, and party B is a big, hairy tarantula that would send most people dashing for the heaviest broom. And yet, of the three alive, conscious entities present, one wanted to be fed, and one wanted to feed the one that wanted to be fed, which made a clear majority. The budgie was still cleaning its feathers without a care in the world. What exactly did budgies do? Sit in cages, mostly, occasionally squawking. Spiders keep a home clean of pests, and if people break into your house, you can throw a spider at them and certainly give them cause to hesitate. Spiders are much worthier of life than budgies. This particular budgie also seemed to have no equivalent food shortage. A dispenser on the side of the cage was generously filled with seed. That was the other thing budgies did. Eat seeds. Seeds, which Tim had said would be vital for cultivating sustainable crops in the new society. I thought back to that single precious apple I had nurtured, and which had been cruelly snatched from me. Here was a selfish little bastard, necking seeds like water. When you looked at it that way, budgies were probably one of humanity's biggest threats right now. This was just a devious, food-stealing crow with blue feathers. I just like the rationalization he went through, and it's obviously yeah. supposed to be a little silly. Um, you know, I guess it gives you a little one of those like inner like eh, chuckles, but... The whole book is like that, where there's just a little yeah. like, heh, or, uh, and I, I don't know. I have, a, again, this is just something I think I have a hard time with. I don't, I don't do well with books that are trying to be funny or, cl- or you're, I don't know. It's just not my jam. And we've, we've had this discussion before, so I don't think we need to relitigate wh- why we think this is the case yeah. and why text isn't a great medium for that kind of a thing. I just think it's tougher because text is sort of a it takes longer to get the thought through your brain. It's like a little bit a little bit of a lag there whereas, you know, live comedy, you can hear something immediately, watching a movie or a TV show, something happens and like the idea is transmitted through your brain a little well, bit quicker. Well, the delivery the delivery is also pre-made for you visually yes. or or auditorily and in a book you have to deliver it yourself while you're consuming it for the first time which i think is the the difficulty um yeah yeah so i don't know just didn't didn't do it for me didn't interest me so that might be interesting to have us read a passage that ostensibly was a good example of a decent portion of the book but that's perhaps one of the best parts is our mm-hmm. point yeah. and if we're going like oh, all right yeah cool then it's just overall a bland experience yeah and again this might also just be not an evergreen idea you know maybe in 2012 when it came out it was more interesting to people i don't know i just not for me the final thing i wanted to mention is i i don't know if because because this author is this author this author is british right not australian yes am i right about that british that moved to australia ah uh, okay so he's a bit a bit of both i guess at this point um there's a few points in the book where instead of saying fuck they say the rude word and I'm wondering if maybe the author wanted this book to be available to younger people or something. I don't know. I've just never had a sure. But books are perhaps the least kind of weird. You know, behind the lace curtain thing in existence, where like 
pretty much a kid could walk into any bookstore and pick up any book, I'm pretty sure, and the clerk would not think twice about it. I think for the mo- I mean, unless the clerk knew what the book was, and then they might be a little... Yeah, or if like, you're you know, slapping down the book and it's like the Kama Sutra and yeah. you're 11, then maybe you'd be like, I don't know about that. But even that, to me, books are one of the least gate-kept things in terms of yeah. age out there, so it doesn't make sense to me to well, try depending to... on what state you live in in America or what live, country. Oh, yeah. Um, sure. yeah, but I didn't I didn't quite understand, so I thought maybe this was just a function, uh, a difference in maybe the publisher but dark horse publishes comics so i don't yeah i don't know i just thought it was i just struck me as odd but maybe this is just a convention is that why they were dodge cars instead of bumper cars is just some kind of weird legality like you can't call them bumper because that'll encourage people to bump instead we must encourage people to dodge it gave, it gave me the strange impression i was like to australians not say fuck that can't be right they just say the rude word they say, ah, the rude Well, they have, they have that other word that they use a lot of that perhaps supersedes fuck in their culture. Yeah, so this is another thing that I thought was odd. So we're avoiding saying fuck. I actually don't remember if shit or damn or any other swears pop up in this. Um, I don't know, Chris, do you recall? Do you have any memory of that? Not off the top of my head, but it wasn't like okay, people yes, were cursing shit, back and Shit appears 13 times. Ah, damn, there's 13 shits. Damn appears 20 times. And then four times we get the R slur, which by 2012 feels like a little too late to be saying, well, maybe it was good characterization. I just, this, and this is the second book in recent time where we've read where that's come up. Yeah. And I just personally So I sort of defended it. it in the last yeah. book, but in this book, I cannot defend it. So like that is my weird line, I guess, where it, it just feels super unnecessary here. Yeah, I I don't cuz we're not trying to get early late late 90s flavor. This is 2012, which yeah. you know, you're thinking is maybe 15 15 to 20 years after the point of the book we last we read before where that slur was used I think twice or something or three times. <laughs> and Paris, you know where my line for like where it was okay and not okay to say that word is? At some point in history, there was a commercial where Hillary Duff was in it, and there was, like, two young ladies in a clothing store, and one of them says the word, like, she was acting like our word to, to her friend, Ooh. and Hillary Duff comes up, and she's like, you shouldn't say that word, and then the commercial's like, don't say that word, and that is my line in the sand for culturally where we were allowed to say it or not. What year was that? I don't remember exactly, but it was like late 90s, early 2000s for sure. One moment. So in my mind... Are you going to Google Hillary Duff R-word commercial? Right <laughs> yes. <now>? Um, <laughs> and so in my mind, Hillary Duff and Miley Cyrus are the same person. I could never disentangle them. They're I never, very different, but... I wasn't... I think I was too... I just wasn't in that particular... Miley came a little bit later than Hillary. 14 years. Okay, I gotta do math. This article is from 2022 and it said 14 years previous. So that's before this book. That was 2000. (laughs) So Hillary Duff said it wasn't okay anymore and at least in my mind... 2008, I finally did the very basic math. I'm subtracting two numbers. (laughs) 22 minus 14 took you a solid 20 seconds. Well, it's hard when you're trying to listen to someone talk at the same time. Uh, Yeah, so in 2008, we have massive... 
child pop stars being like, yo, that word's not cool anymore. But somehow this comes out in 2012 and they're like, yeah, let's, I don't know. And again, it's used to, it's clearly, they're, it's uttered by the character who is supposed to be the most prickly, you know, Don, who's clearly, you know, he's a video game developer and he only cares about his video game and he kind of, he looks down on everyone and makes it very abundantly clear. So again. Really a true gamer. Yeah. So maybe this is, as you could argue, an accurate characterization. Someone who's still hanging on to edgelord culture years after, even in popular culture, we're not, you know, we've decided that's not a cool thing to say. But I wonder about the choice of, like, there are so many other ways you can depict that. And it's already very clear to me who, what kind of person Don is without the use of that word. So why add it? This is always my question. What does it add by including something that we now understand is not great? And I, 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 don't, I don't understand what is gained. It's That's so funny to me question. that I'm on the opposite. I'm with you on this one, but I wasn't with you on the golden basement. I guess the line really is Hillary Duff's timing. <laughs> <laughs> 2008 my... was the year after, <laughs> after 2008, not allowed. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I, anyway, I try to, I try to, you know, trying to be a less shitty person here basically is the whole point and be like, what does it really add to fill your book with horrible shit when it's supposed to be occurring at a time when people should have already started to kind of know better, you know, I don't know. Anyway, whatever. This is probably doesn't need to be litigated much anymore, but it was something that stuck out to me. And somehow we have consumed two books in quick succession with this in it. So I think it's just (laughs) at the forefront of my mind. Uh, Okay. Do we have Uh, anything else to talk about or are we... At the end here, I'm jammed out. I, I've, I've consumed all the terrible book that I can stand for now. I wouldn't call this a terrible book, to be honest with you. It's yeah, I don't know. Anyway, yeah. So can M- mediocre? Can, can we can we fix it, Chris? Can we fix it? I think you'd have to really rework the meat here a lot if we're doing a silly apocalypse story. Finding out why the jam happened and how it works is going to be sort of the major point. I just want a little bit more involved in the jam mystery and not exploring the author's particular problems with forum posting and corporate culture. Um, you know, and work giving the characters a little bit more to work with. Aside from Don is obsessed with his game and he's kind of a dick and Tim's a sociopath and kind of a dick and Angela is obsessed with her documentaries kind of a dick I think you get what my problem is here so I yeah I, I I'm gonna put this in the definitely not for me and if you really want to stick with this I guess add more of these types of subcultures to make fun of or poke some fun at yeah, so I mean, I'm just going to echo most of what you said. I have a I have a hard time with these sort of surface level this is supposed to be funny books. I just don't if I'm reading about apoc- an apocalypse, I I want it to be a little more serious. Not that I don't want not that not that I'm saying don't have any humor in your books. I just think the focus was strange. I think we both had a problem with where this focused on in the scenario. I I mean, the people weren't... I didn't find any of the people relatable. I didn't... 
I didn't care about anything. This book didn't make me care about anything. I didn't care about Mary. I didn't care about Travis. I actually found Travis kind of annoying. I didn't care about Dawn or Angela or X or Y or any of the anything. None of this mattered to me. I slogged through this fucking jam and it ate the bones of my legs and I was <laughs> mad and then it consumed the rest of my body. Um, yeah, it was it was definitely the uh, the gray goo of the scenarios for sure of the possible apocalypse stories. Just bland gruel that didn't didn't mm-hmm. do it for me. Um, I I think I can understand maybe this book is for a younger audience who is first encountering this idea, like more of a YA situation. You know, maybe if you've never thought about, oh, wow, corporate culture and video and internet forums are both stupid and everyone is kind of an idiot and probably wouldn't be equipped to survive the apocalypse. Like if those thoughts haven't crossed your mind yet and you're like 14, I guess I can understand why you'd read this and be like, oh, I... I liked that. But again, this is just, I think you're right, Chris. I don't think this is abysmally terrible or anything. It's just very not for us. And I also don't know what this is contributing to like literature or readers or society. Like this or satire. If you're going to yeah. do that satire, we've, there, a lot of people have done this better. So you're not really adding anything interesting into this jam mixture. Yeah. I do wonder though, that if this writer wrote, something different whether we would like it because i i don't I, like we said we thought the writing was writing and editing was like decent enough and it wasn't fantastic but it was all right and the author knew how to add little you know witty interjections here or there so i wonder if maybe this was an actual thriller or mystery or something if we would like it more but then i wonder if this author is just kind of just kind of does exactly this every time i I don't know playing into his one particular strength yeah and i don't i don't know anything about his videos in fact i had no idea who yahtzee croshaw was until right before we started recording chris said here watch this watch the six minute review of the newest amnesia game and i was like okay and i watched two minutes of it and was like all right i get it i okay it's just i'm just surprised that he stuck with the exact same format for probably more than 14 years, more almost like 20, I'd guess, at well, this point. I mean, I guess if you... Same intro music, same animation. If it don't, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I, I guess. Again, I know nothing about this man. I watched two minutes of his material, and I read this book. I have no idea. If I, you watch those two minutes of the material, that is all of the material that he has done. It's in that vein. It was fine. I mean, I, I you know, yeah. as somebody who's played... Uh, the amnesia many of the amnesia games uh i was like okay this is this is a good short form breakdown kind of of like what they're about and then a short form review of the game i think that's fine i i like short you know concise content um but maybe maybe i don't need 320 pages about how everyone's kind of annoying and strawberry jam eats people. I think that's all it is. I just don't need it. Yeah. Don't need it. All right. Well, Paris, I think it's time to thank the patrons for wading into this bland jam with us. They covered themselves in plastic bags. We forgot to tell everyone about about that part of this book. Because it's not interesting. It just, yeah. <laughs> like, why, why, who cares? I know, it's true. I mean, so... 
Uh, the only way anybody can figure out how to move through the jam is to coat themselves as many layers of plastic bags and tape to prevent it from getting at their organic parts. Uh, and it's very stupid. And obviously many people die pretty easily because plastic bags rip easily. But I guess in that situation, you, you, you know, you, you try things. Anyway, what, right. what patrons are we not sacrificing to the jam? Thank you, Greg, Veronica, Will, D, Jared, Arant, Senior, Jakub, Lycoris, Elliot, Kieran, Martin, Jay, Luchek, Miri, Yanka, David, Julius, Anya, Patricia, Austin, Donnie, Beast with the Least, Scott H, Robin, Last Man on Earth 01, Funny Robot with Antennas, Hobbyboy93, Harry, Mason, Renee, Emmy, The Ugly One, Bleach Black Hat, Julius the Nice Dragon, Eastern Swiss, Rudy Bow Booty, Ben Durkin Guitar, and our newest patron, Emily. Thanks for joining us down here in the jam. Our Kofi Donor Kiwi thing, and of course, of the void, the taco eating unicorn. Perhaps the jam eating unicorn? Perhaps? Maybe. All right. Thank you, everyone, for your support for the show. Thank you, and uh, don't don't get eaten by jam out there. Stay away. Yeah, actually, Paris, I haven't eaten breakfast yet. Me neither. I also haven't. We haven't started eaten. recording this very early. I'm very hungry, and guess what? I got downstairs in the fridge. Jam. Strawberry jam. Well, I am gonna eat it before it can eat me. I think that's a good tactic. Consume the jam before it consumes you. That is okay. That's so our everyone tip. out there, eat all the jam. Ooh, Save yourself. Happy Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> is it Halloween right now? It's not. This is coming out in like November, right? No, this is ho- it's Halloween. I don't I don't know what time is because we're pre-recording this year way in advance. Fuck. Okay. Should hang we on. reveal when it is right now? <laughs> should hang on. Hang on. Let's let me check the schedule. Kind of forgot. Just so you mention. guys know, it's July as yeah, we're it's, recording it's, this. It's early July. It is uh it is July 5th today. <laughs> um in the past uh oh shit you're right this is this is november 21st uh, happy thanksgiving <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, put the jam put the strawberry jam on all your it's a cranberry sauce sorry Make it the strawberry ske- the schedule has changed a lot i no longer know what time is or up and down um happy thanksgiving down here in <laughs> july vember it's really tough to tell <laughs> what's going on um yeah, I hope uh, Americans have a nice Thanksgiving. I hope the Canadians had a nice one about a month ago. And uh, I don't know what the fuck the rest of the world does. I don't know. All right. Well, <laughs> see you guys later. All Enjoy right. your July giving. <laughs> Bye. Bye, Paris. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of Terrible Book Club. Terrible Book Club is an independent podcast produced by your hosts, Paris and Chris. Sound design and audio editing by Chris, with sound effects and music by Epidemic Sound and sometimes also Chris. Our theme song is Kiss by Yearn, which is, you guessed it, actually, also Chris. You can find more of his soothing synthy sounds on Bandcamp at yearn.bandcamp.com. Do you want us to review a book of your choice on the show? Do you want access to some extra audiovisual weirdness? If so, become a patron at patreon.com slash terriblebookclub. If you'd like to send us a one-time tip instead, you can do that at ko-fi.com slash terriblebookclub. You can also support TBC for free by sharing the show on social media, following our accounts on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or Goodreads, telling your friends about your favorite episode, or by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, or anywhere else on the internet. To send us book recommendations or your adorable pet photos, 
send an email to terriblebookclub at gmail.com.